BL, welcome back, mate. How are we? Hello, James. How are you? Good to Good. Uh, talk with you again. Good to have you back, mate. What, what have you been up to? Um, James, uh, not overly busy, but um, I'm just thinking of the things to pick up on for our listeners. I'd, I'd like to start with, we've received, um, both of us have received some really useful feedback from uh, from our listeners over the last few weeks, which is really promising and um, uh, really encouraging that uh, people are reaching out to us and our uh, podcast uh, seems to be um, gaining a little bit of traction. So many thanks to those listeners who are sharing their thoughts, their comments and their suggestions. About you, James? Yeah, no, it's, it's really pleasing too as well and just provides affirmation and, and provides us, you know, with information on what we can do to enhance the podcast to make it more relevant and appealable to, to our listeners. So we do appreciate you sending us your thoughts on ways for us um, to consider um, making enhancements moving forward, but also words of affirmation on, on what we're doing and what we're sharing. Absolutely. And um, I think we both would encourage our listeners to reach out to us in whatever way they feel comfortable. We're both on Twitter. Um, both on Facebook and uh, we we obviously have a Facebook page for educational tales, stories that matter. Uh, and we also have a Twitter um, account for the same, uh, under the same name. So reach out through those different mediums and share your comments, your questions. Um, I think we said at the start, James, that we, we really want these podcasts to be driven to some extent by our listeners. And if they have got topics or questions or even if they want us to follow up on something that we spoke about in a previous episode, we're happy to do that. And I think tonight's episode, um, we are uh, harking back to episode three and uh, something that I raised uh, in relation to professional learning. Correct, correct. Don't give too much away on that note, Brad. No, that's that's not. Uh, but in terms of what's been happening, I, I do want to clarify, the Vespa is actually running. It does run. It just has a gear selection problem, James. Talk to me further about that. Well, James, I, I, I'm secretly trying to turn this podcast into a motoring enthusiast podcast because um, I'm just going to be talking about my Vespers and my motorcycles and anything motoring. But the uh, in relation to the Vespa, it's a gear selection problem, James. So when I ride up hills... yeah. Under load, it slips out of gear, which is not good. How'd you identify that? Um, well, nothing too technical, James. It was just riding up a hill and it went out of gear. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I knew that wasn't the right thing for it to no. be doing. So it will be resolved. And the um, the gentleman who restored my Vesper is coming down in a week or two for a, um, a Lambretta Jamboree. Have you ever heard Ooh. of that, James? BL, you lost me at the first letter, mate. A Lambretta, which is the other Italian scooter. Yeah. Um, and a Jamboree. Have you heard so, of that term? Brad, it, it sounds like a lot <laughs> of fun, mate. Is, is that what the retired people do? Go to these Lambrettas or... Lambretta Jamborees, James. Yes, uh, apparently that's, that's what one. they do. And they don't always have to be retired. But he's coming down for that event and he will be attending to my best bus. So that's good news. Bailey the Wonder Greyhound. Wonder. Oh, he's a wonder dog. That's James. a strong strong way to describe Bailey. What's what's he done? Well, you may have sensed that um, Bailey has moved from being Bailey the problem greyhound 
yeah. to now Bailey's hugely loved by the family and is now the Wonder Greyhound. What's he's he done? Doing one. He's just a fantastic dog, James. He's not. He doesn't what? bark. He, nope. He's friendly. Yeah. You're describing everything my dog's not, Brad. <laughs> mm. I did warn you about chihuahuas, James. You, you did, you did, but he's very loving and that's the important thing. And the final thing, James, I would recommend a yeah. book that I'm reading at the moment. It's by the author Robert Drew. It's called Nimblefoot. Um, if any of our listeners like Australian authors, Tim Winton and uh, Robert Drew are two of my favourites, but Robert Drew probably more so. And his latest book called Nimblefoot. I would highly recommend. Can you just give me an overview, like in three sentences, summarise mm. what you've taken away so far from? <clears throat> well, it's about a it's a about a character who is um, from history, Australian history, John Day, Johnny Day, who was a bit of a child athlete and uh, was a jockey who won the 1870 Melbourne Cup. And what Robert Drew has done, he has built on the 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 facts behind. Johnny Day, and then fictionalised the rest of his life, wow. which no one knows what really happened, but it's a good read. Thanks for the recommendation there, Biela. I'll have to take you up on, on that one. And maybe is it have you got the hard copy or is it on one of those Kindles or...? Uh, I only read hard copies. That's my preference. But, yes, I have the hard copy. Well, Biela, I might have to borrow it. You, you're very welcome to, James. <laughs> what about yourself? What's been happening with you? Not much, mate. Going into that for New South Wales uh, listeners in term one, week six at the moment. So it's just that little hunch where everyone's formed those new relationships with their classes. They're into strong routines. Um, it's been really nice um, just settling in and just seeing everything take place at the moment in, in the school year. Um, outside, I had a similar problem. Um, my partner's car wasn't starting, Bill. Oh, no. so I tell you a car's not starting and mm -hmm. it's just it goes to the on button and it's you know click 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 tell mm -hmm. me a diagnosis what do you think the problem was uh well it's either a battery or your starter motor Bell, you're on to it mate that was the battery mm -hmm. that was you. the battery but I, we got a multimeter right and we tested the battery volts first and it was giving off volts of like 12.5 or something like that well, so we were thinking hmm. maybe it's not a dead battery but then mm -hmm. I found out even if it's a dead battery or something like that, it can still give off a reading. So um, it ended up being the battery and, you know, uh, I replaced it myself, Brad. You'd be oh, quite James, impressed. look at you go. I oh, know. You, you little mechanic, James. Well I know, done you. VL, what's hot, mate? What's been catching your eyes on your socials? Well, it's, it's a bit of a general comment this week, James, but what I have been noticing is that there are so many, there are so many good things happening in schools. Yeah. And now, I'm sure they've always been happening, but what I am noticing is that a lot of schools and a lot of our colleagues are using their socials to celebrate those those wonderful things. So maybe it's because I'm I'm looking at the socials and and people are actually putting things out there. But gee whiz, there's some good stuff. There's a lot of great professional learning happening in schools. Um, there's a lot of um, uh, wonderful welcoming events. I, I've been able to pick up that schools across the board are really um, engaging with their communities and welcoming them, welcoming them in. Um, and, and obviously the um, the sporting events, um, yeah. the swimming carnivals um, and so forth. 
a lot of um, schools are promoting those events and they look like they've been great fun, well organised, um, obviously done safely and, and school communities are having a ball with those. But I've, I've just been, my, my overriding feeling in the last uh, week or two is just what a great job schools are doing and individuals in those schools are doing. No. I know that's a little bit general, no, James, but um, it, it did strike me this time. It's what I've been seeing um, on Twitter and, you know, school Facebook pages as mm. well, BL, because you, we've got to remember in 2020, 2021, and even in 2022, we couldn't have really those events. They, they were run at a modified level, which was Good very point. different. It wasn't mm. with the parents involved. Like this year at our swimming carnival, we could have all the community in there. Yeah, you know what I mean? So I think it's really beautiful seeing those things because we've kind of missed them for the last three years based mm -hmm. upon um, school, you know, restrictions that, that were handed to us and that we needed to keep, you know, certain safety measures in place. So it was really nice. Like we just had our swimming carnival uh, last week it was and we had, you know, a parent, teacher, student relay, you know, different things like that were, mm. were really nice and, and things that the community and the kids love. And, and I've noticed the exact same, like I was mentioning on socials, just mm. so nice seeing, you know, our schools promote mm. the amazing things that they're doing, you know, within, you know, the walls of their classrooms, but also wider around like you were touching on different professional learning but different initiatives they're running as well well i think what's nice too james is that schools are obviously proud of what they're doing yeah um, and, and when we um when we formed our media team at my previous school um i said uh, to the team at the time that was one of the things i wanted um i wanted our pride to be shared and I yeah. wanted us to be proud of what we were doing. Um, it wasn't about the hits or the likes or or whatever. It was let's let's be really proud of what we're doing in our schools and let's show it off. Yeah. Um, and let's let's um, allow ourselves to show off a little bit. And, and I think and, that's okay. And you know, talking about you know formal that media committee, I really like the way that that was done BL in a way of identifying each platform and its purpose mm, and mm. making that clearly aware to staff and to the community and I remember mm. that the Facebook like you said that's not a place of messaging or notices that's a place of celebrating and showcasing the school through different multimedia whether it was pictures or videos that yep. was the purpose of that tool and I really think and I really liked how it was a clear clear plan. I, I think it was really important for our community that we were really clear in our own head and then we communicated that that clarity to our community and you're right I, I insisted that Facebook was purely for celebrations nothing else um, that our school app was for messaging important messages and, and uh, information that parents needed to know um, that our Twitter account was for our professional colleagues that was our professional profile and the audience was for our colleagues um, our school website was more of a static uh, medium but I insisted that it was it was up to date and not time dependent because I don't think there's anything worse than a school website that has stuff up there from six years ago agree um, and we we took a lot of time and we went to great pains to make sure that our website if there was anything that was on there you wouldn't be able to tell um, a date yeah a, a time stamp from that um, and then we had our remind, which was for our classroom teachers to communicate with their their students' parents. So we were very clear on which what what the purpose of each medium was. 
No, I think that's really, really important um, note to have of, you know, identifying and I guess we're talking about our what's hot and gotten on to a different avenue mm. there. But, a little bit, you know, yes. for schools to take into consider- consideration, sorry, that if they're using the platforms that do they have a key purpose and are they known by all the relevant stakeholders? Mm-hmm. Um, because we know now from from our parents, you know, they're forming opinions um, about us based upon our socials of Googling the website, go- going onto the Facebook pages, et cetera. And we want to be mindful of the image that we're creating for, for our schools. Oh, absolutely. Um, we're, in a, um, we're in an image society where, we are. you know, we're all looking. 100%. We're all looking. Uh, what everyone's doing um, and and from what we see and from what we read we make judgments so what stood out for me um bill this week on the socials mm. is um i saw an article that was highly tweeted um just only recently um this morning and it was about mm. the allocation within new south wales of this forgive me i might get the the title wrong but it was about this behavior um, ambassador or something that was employed by the New South Wales oh, government yes. that's mm. going to be working with the independent, the Catholic and the Department of Education to oversee um, what we're doing within our systems and provide advice moving forward. Um, so it was really interesting um, reading different people's thoughts and feedbacks, you know, on that role. And I think it's going to be really complex working across the three systems with one person. And I'm assuming they're going to have a team. They've got a two-year contract. You know, it, it's really hard to collect and analyse all the policies and data of what's going on behaviourally in those schools and the determine an evidence-based approach that's going to work across through the three um different systems or is it just going to be a two-year research paper that just gets published and goes these are our recommendations you know so i'm really yeah agreed james i think there's a lot of problems with the um the whole idea and i read a little bit about it and obviously there was a lot of controversy around the even just the um the pay scale for whoever is successful in getting this position and and probably more importantly like what's their purpose i mean you've touched on this is is it to develop uh, a research working paper? Is it to provide advice to schools? Is it to provide advice to the government in determining policy? Like, I'm not quite sure what's the, what's the scope of this role. Yeah, and I guess from a department perspective, we just had a student behaviour policy, a mm. part of two other policies that were implemented last year. So yep. is it to revise what we've already been working on so hard or is it to complement? Um, but, yeah, I guess just interesting space and, you know, who knows two years from now, BL, we could be sitting back talking about the amazing work this this person's achieved and the difference um, that they've made because I know coming back um, post-COVID for uh, all of us within education, um, you know, uh, domestically and internationally, we're challenging from behaviours and attendance. You know, they haven't gone away and behaviours yes. are a lot more challenging. Attendance yes. is a lot, um, you know, poorer than what it was before COVID. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's timely and needed, but, yeah. Uh, like you said, James, it's an interesting one to watch this space. All righty, Belle, you, you alluded to this earlier in the podcast, but last week we were talking about professional learning. Um, and you shared the model that you um, worked at at your previous school and you shared that that model came from a process, which was the RAPS process. Mm. And I'm assuming for those listeners, all wouldn't have been familiar unless you've you've worked with Brad before. So I wanted mm. to take the time to unpack 
what RAPS stands for, mm-hmm. what it is, and what it looks like. So first of all, tell me what RAPS stands for. Okay, RAPS stands for Reflect, Review, Analyze, Action, Plan, and Share. We shortened that to RAPS. And, and honestly, <clears throat> RAPS is just a, a catchy um, term to describe a process. But I've always felt that um, if you're going to introduce something, there's a real benefit to having a little catchy name to whatever it is. You want something that rolls off people's lips. You want something that people can say easily and something that then means the same thing to everyone. Um, And the RAPS process at uh, my previous school became just that. If anyone um, mentioned a, a RAPS panel, or the RAPS process, we all knew what we were talking about. Everyone understood. Um, Outside of that context, you're right, people will go, what the heck does RAPS mean? But that's simply what it means. Um, And and it's essentially an approach which um, is based on critical and evaluative thinking. That's all it is. Um, But when I started at my previous school, um, I did what every good experienced principal does. You sit back you watch, you look, and most importantly, you listen. Um, And in those uh, first few months, I did exactly that. I I just listened. I looked, I I took in what were the processes, what was happening at the school. Um, I was obviously making some judgments and some some observations, but I wanted to talk to other people. Um, So I met with every staff member and not just classroom teachers. And I, I set aside a time and I said, let's just meet, let's just talk. I, I just want to get to know you and I want to get to know what you're thinking about the school. Um, there's nothing revolutionary in that. Like I said, good principals do that all the time. Um, I guess it's what you do with that information is important. And, and I think there's always been a risk that some good principals do that. They stop and listen but then they don't do anything about it. And then that whole process becomes a little bit of a so what. Um, but what I got from that process was some, some really valuable data. Um, and there were some, some really interesting uh, themes that came across those meetings. And, and really interestingly, from a lot of those, those interviews and those conversations, the same themes were coming through. So I came away from that and was able to reflect and go, okay, so I've identified some really important themes here, but there's, there's no point in me saying I'm going to do X about all those things. It, it had to come, the, the action had to come again from the stakeholders. So, so what I did after I reflected on that and I identified those themes um, I sort of said to the staff, um, and and this is one of those um, Jason McGrath questions, a what if question. I said, this is what I've observed. This is what I've seen. These are the themes that I've come across through your conversations. What if I could share with you a process that would allow us to act on those themes? And I think that was a really important question to put to the staff um, because I I wasn't telling them we were going to do something. I was offering them 
that I was prepared to do something if they wanted and I was prepared to bring something to the table because I had this evaluative process in my head. And I said, I can offer this to you. And, and through this process, we can actually explore the themes, issues, um, controversies, whatever, that you've brought up with me. Um, and that made a big difference, James. Um, I don't know so, if you've ever no, had a... I'll touch on, you know, you, you're going very deep there, Brad. I, I really liked mm. the explanation of, you know, the context of you're starting um, at a new place in a, at a new school and you've always shared with me that no school's the same and that you've got mm. a lot of tools in your toolbox and often you never use the same tools. There's, there's mm. other tools you bring out based upon mm -hmm. um, the school that you're work, working in. And through listening, you identified a lot of key themes within the school from listening. You weren't mm -hmm. saying, I'm doing this. It was what if to create that shared belief and shared ownership. And we know when there's shared ownership opposed to dictation, you know, a dictatorship, mm. you have shared ownership. They're taking it on opposed to I'm getting told to do something. So you've got that shared belief. Um and obviously you identified the theme. So obviously, do you want to talk about one of the themes you identified and take us through after you did your research mm. to identify the themes, what each process looked like? Who would part, be part of a RAPS panel? What was their role? Yeah. So it was always, um, it was always an expression of interest process um, because, I, again, I thought that was critical that um, if you were interested in being on a RAPS panel... You had panel, an equal opportunity you had a chance and you had a chance to have your voice. And if it was something that we were going to address through a panel, through a RAPS panel, um, and you felt passionate about it, then via EOI, you could register your interest. Now, obviously the panels had a limit in size and I, I shared that with staff. I said, we can't have panels of 20 plus people. That, that just won't work. So we limited it to around between six and eight participants. But I put an EOI out and we would just um, work through that EOI process. Uh, they weren't asked to, um, you know, to you know, address it in terms of criteria or a CV, but register their interest. Um, and those, uh, those panels were formed. Now, one of the panels, just for example, led to the professional learning model that I explained in episode three, because one of the issues that came up through those conversations was that there was a, a general shared concern about how professional learning was um, rolled out, how, how there was some um, mixed messages around the PL, how it was generic. And it, it, it raised all the issues that we were able to address through that RAPS panel that, that became the PL model at that school. Uh, so that was one example. So an EOI went out, we'd formed the panel and uh, we worked through essentially four qu quadrants. The first few meetings were around quadrant one and quadrant two. Quadrant one was essentially a meeting, one meeting. And that's where we talked about what was the focus of the panel? What was the scope? You know, we had to be really clear how far we were going to go with this topic um, so that it was manageable. Um, we talked about uh, where there would be evidence sources in the school, where we could find the evidence in relation to this matter. 
and um, we would then go off and collect evidence around that. Now, I stressed really strongly that through quadrant one and quadrant two of this process, so essentially meeting one and meeting two and the between meeting activities, you had to remain non-judgmental because we know that um, in this um, evaluative thinking, there is cognitive bias that comes through. Yep. And cognitive bias is essentially we go in with preconceived opinions and ideas and that can skew the whole process. And if you don't, if you don't remain non-judgmental in the first few meetings, then you may as well not have the panel. You may as well not do it because you've got all these biases coming through, which will skew the data, which will skew the outcome. So um, the, the challenge in those early RAPS panels was just to get people to understand we weren't going to solve the problem in meeting one or two. We weren't going to make judgments in meeting one or two. We weren't going to guess what was wrong in meeting one or two. We were just going to look at what was the evidence telling us. Meeting two was around quadrant two. And that was just simply, we'd come back from our between meeting activity with the evidence and we'd simply look at the evidence. And that was just that analyzing, annotating process, which schools are really familiar with now. It's, a, it's become a, a thing we do in schools, particularly around um, um, external validation and, and um, our annual reviews. But it was just, what's the evidence telling us? What is the evidence annotating it? And let's analyze it. Then we would go away and think that was the between meeting activity before we came back for meeting number three, which was aligned to quadrant three. Now that's when I used to say to the panels, okay, you can start being judgy, go for it. Because we've been objective, we've looked at what the evidence is telling us. Let's start being a little bit judgy and let's start saying some things that are important. And uh, meeting three would be, let's, let's start getting down to the nitty gritty. What can we do about this? What can we change? Um, what could we implement? What's some of our goals? What's some of our ideals? And then we'd move into a, a fourth meeting, um, which was that's where we started talking about what would be our recommendations, um, what was going to be uh, um, the plans and who we were going to share these recommendations with. Now, I, I always said that with the panels, you are merely going to come out of this process with a set of recommendations. You do not have the governance to make the changes, but those recommendations always went to the executive, the school leadership team. So the panel would finish. We would publish um, a report, which included a series of recommendations. And those recommendations were passed on to the school leadership team for their consideration. Now, the beauty of that was that as a, a leadership team and as a principal, if I received a set of recommendations from a RAPS panel, we would look at them. And I would say that in 99% of instances, the school leadership team ratified every one of those recommendations. Now, the, the, the reason for that was each recommendation had the voice of all the stakeholders. Each recommendation was based on evidence and any decision made had undergone 
undergone a robust, transparent and collaborative process. Now, you can't argue with that. You can't argue with that. Even your worst black hatter, if you say to them, hey, look what this, this has come from. This decision is based on collaboration, transparency, robust discussions. It's based on evidence. It's based on shared voice. Your worst black hatter cannot argue against that. So as a principle, when I would then share with the community, these are the recommendations that we're, we are endorsing as a leadership team. It was a powerful thing, James. It was a really powerful moment. Oh. And it led, it led to some, some significant change to that school. Change, can I say, and I think this is critical, has remained in place and has been adopted by the principal who has replaced me. And uh, I think the model in what it is, is that at the beginning of it, you know what I mean, you're identifying the theme through the voices of the people that are working within that space. There's then a process for people to be a part of a RAPS panel. They then become part of the panel. And in that process, they're suspending their judgment. They're collecting information. They're collecting a robust different types of data. They're then using that evidence to make judgments. Mm -hmm. They're then looking at what needs to be done and creating a list of recommendations using that evidence. And then obviously the research that's out there of what needs to take place moving forward. Mm -hmm. That's shared openly and honestly. Mm -hmm. What a simple and easy process that I think so many get wrong. Well, it's, it's as I said to you, James, you really can't argue against it. And that was the power of it. There were a couple of other milestone moments. I shared just one that, you know, the, the new principal has um, has basically adopted a, a many things that came from our RAPS panels, which is, you know, testament to the strength of those recommendations and decisions. But the other thing that I loved uh, during my time as principal was towards the end, I had staff coming up to me and say, hey, Brad, I've identified X, Y and Z. I think this this would be a good topic for a RAPS panel. So they were throwing the process back at me <clears throat> and saying, let's do a wraps. Yeah. Now, again, that's that's gold. That 100%. really is gold. When you've got, you've got staff doing that, suggesting that um, a process that you've implemented um, is, a, is something they would like to be involved with. No, well, well, Bill, thanks for elaborating and, and taking us through um, the RAPS process because I really think it's valuable regardless of your role within your school. That's something that you can even be doing within your classroom from a student voice perspective that you can you, oh, you can absolutely. modify and use within your stage teams also. Yeah. So it's regardless of your role within the school, it's a process that you can take and use to make sure that you're making informed judgments of what you're doing within your space well, we are all change agents we are James. and um i think that's probably and i say this humbly but um one of the most um uh, successful change strategies uh that i've used yeah no well thank you for sharing bail and listeners i hope you enjoyed our, our chat um on this episode so bail any final yes, words Let's go watch the footy, James. Up you and the I both eels. have a vested interest. Up the That's... eels, James. <laughs> See you next time, guys. See you, Jim. <laughs>